Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Great to see you guys this morning. Hope you're doing well. Kids, you are dismissed to go to our G2 ministry. Thanks for being a part of worship this morning. And as you guys are going out, we just want to tell you last time, happy Thanksgiving and uh, first Merry Christmas of the year. So uh, you guys have fun this morning. Church family, if you have your Bibles, let's celebrate God's truth. Turn to John chapter 14 and let's look at a passage of scripture there. We love the word of God and we believe that it holds hope for all things in life and gives us uh, the knowledge of God, the understanding of who God is. And so we love to celebrate that. John chapter 14. Verse 27, we're just going to look at this one verse together this morning and kind of dive into some things here. Uh, and so Jesus said this, John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so this morning, as we come into Advent, we're asking this question, what do you typically think of when you think of the word peace? And most people would say, when I think of peace, I think of just an absence of conflict. I think of things that, uh, that go away so that I just have some semblance of just peace and about myself. And so when we think about peace, we start to understand that there's more to it than just a lack of conflict. Typically, when people think of that, we go, man, peace just means there's no conflict in my life. Everything's good. The kids aren't yelling at each other. I got to church on time this morning. There was no yelling and screaming in the car. There was no conflict that was there. My job's going smoothly. There's just no conflict. That means I have peace. But there's so much more to it. What we just heard Jesus say in the Gospel of John that was that he was going to leave his peace with his followers. He said, my peace I leave with you. And he contrasted that by saying, I don't leave peace like the world does. So that means that there's a difference between the peace that Jesus offers and the peace that we find in the world. And so this morning, what I want us to do is explore the idea of what it means to have peace and to live in this season of Advent, anticipating, waiting for, watching for the arrival of Jesus the second time in order to understand more fully how to have the kind of peace that he leaves with us. We know, looking at the world around us, that we say, okay, well, when the world talks about peace and an absence of conflict and no war and whatever else that you want to say peace represents, we can look all around the world and we can see, especially even among just Christians in all, uh, all the regions of the world, that we go, there's not just a lack of conflict that Christians experience where they have peace. There are all kinds of things that are warring against us to take away our peace. When the New Testament talks about uh, this idea of peace, the Old Testament word is shalom. The New Testament word in Greek is irene. When they talk about this peace of God, it's not just an absence of conflict. It's something that comes that's better than the conflict that we experience. And so this morning, what I want you to do just to get us started so we get a deeper feel and understanding 
And what we're talking about is I have a video that I want you to watch. It's from the Bible Project. And these guys just do a great job breaking down the idea of what this word peace really means. So if you will, check out this video. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So as we enter into the Advent season, what we're doing is remembering, taking time to think back on the fact that Jesus has come once and he is coming again. 
And what we desire to do in this period of time while we're waiting on him to return is to learn how to watch and wait for his coming. And so Advent, if you're taking notes this morning, either on our app or if you just want to write some things down, here's the term Advent if you're not familiar with that. It's simply a word that means arrival or coming that we're anticipating the arrival, the coming of Jesus once again. So Jesus came as a baby. He's come to this earth once. He was born in Bethlehem. We know the story. We've heard it over and over and over again throughout our lives of Jesus coming to this earth, being born in a stable in Bethlehem. And as Jesus came, he was God in flesh. He was literally God incarnate. That's what that word means, that he took on flesh. He is God eternally, but he stepped into human space and time and took on flesh to become like one of us in order to live the life that we couldn't live. That in our broken state, because of sin that each and every one of us inherits from the time of Adam and Eve, their first sin was passed down from generation to generation. We're born with our hearts set against God in animosity to our Father, our Creator. And because of that, we can't live a perfect life because of the sin in our life. So Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't live in order to become the sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't just to die. It was to be a substitutionary sacrifice for us. He lived the life we couldn't live. And then he died the death that each and every one of us deserved to die so that we wouldn't have to so that he could pass down his life into anyone who trusts in him, who follows him, who believes in him. That he gives us the gift of his spirit to live inside of us, to bring us peace with the Father. That Jesus restores that relationship. And so God sent him to bring us peace. And as we wait for his return to take everyone who followed him to heaven to be in heaven with him for eternity, we ask the question, that we, uh, all of us should ask during this Christmas season is how should we wait for his return? How should we wait? What does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to wait for his return? This has been the question that's been asked for over 2,000 years, right? Jesus is going to come back. He lived on earth. He left earth after his death. He rose back to life. He ascended to the Father in heaven where he sits at the right hand of God Almighty. But God is going to send Jesus back to get us to take us home, to be with him, to reestablish his kingdom on this earth, to recreate everything and make it new and let us live with him for all of eternity. But as we're waiting for that day, as Christians have for thousands of years now, the question is how, how do we wait? What does it look like for us to be a people who watch and wait? And so here's the first thing that we're going to talk about. If you're taking notes again, write this down. We wait and we watch in peace for Jesus to return. But this is what this celebration of Advent helps us do. It helps us to to recollect ourselves, to to gather around some ideas, some common themes that we start to see. What does it look like to wait for the return of Jesus, that we wait in peace, that we wait in hope, that we wait with joy, that we wait in faith. And so all of these things, these next four weeks that we're going to talk about, peace isn't just an absence of conflict. It points us to something better in its place. It tells us that what we're waiting for is better than what we have now. So we learn to wait in peace. So here's the next blanks on your outline if you're following along. God's peace doesn't just remove something bad from the world. He replaces and restores everything broken with himself. This is what Jesus desires to do. He longs to take the things that are broken in us and replace those things with himself to show us his glory and his goodness and his love and his grace and his mercy and his peace. 
And so when the Bible talks about peace, it talks about being made complete or whole, like we saw in the video. It's not just saying there's an absence of conflict, that things are, are going smoothly in our space and time, but that it's bringing wholeness and completion to things that have been broken or things that have been taken apart or things that have been lost. And so this is so much deeper than what we hear about peace from our modern psychology. Right? When the world talks about peace, and this goes back to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, my peace I leave with you. It's a peace that's different than what the world offers. And so if you read up in modern psychology and think about what is peace, peace is always just kind of the absence of chaos or conflict or difficulty. And so this week I, I did quite a bit of reading just through this idea of, of what does psychology think about when it comes to peace. One article specifically that I found that I really thought gave some good thoughts uh, was this, because it gives the perspective that's kind of opposite of what we would think about as Christians. And so I want you to hear this. Um, this is from Psychology Today, and he talks about four types of peace. Number one, the peace of ease. And this is just a peace that comes when you get rid of everything that was on your to-do list, and you can finally sit back at the end of the day and go, man, got it all done. I can just take it easy now. It's that peace of ease. I just want everything off my plate so I can have no problems. No issues. I can just relax. That's a peace that we have from the world. Uh, the second thing that they think about is the peace of tranquility. They describe this as the peace that comes in those moments just as you wake up in the morning, you open your eyes, you come, your eyes, you come into consciousness, and you haven't quite realized all the chaos that's going around you yet. And it's this peace of tranquility that you just go, nothing bad's happened yet. Until you come to your full senses as you wake up and go, oh man, everything around me is just broken and destroyed and damaged and I gotta get lunches packed for the kids and I gotta get to work on time and I gotta get everybody off to school and I gotta do all these things and whatever it is in your world, my world is little ones chasing them around, getting them off to school. And so it's just that idea of going, there's no peace the moment that I wake up because my brain starts thinking about all that the day has to hold that brings chaos into it. But he says there is this kind of peace of tranquility that they talk about in psychology that says when you wake up in the morning, first thing, no thoughts have hit your mind yet. There's just kind of that, man, I had a good night's rest. Or there's just tranquility. The third way that the world thinks about peace is a peace of awareness. Now, this is where you experience chaos, but your brain kind of tricks you to go, everything's fine. <laughs> you don't really have any problems. This is going to be fine. It's all going to work out in the end. Don't worry about it. Just keep on pushing forward. You're going to be okay. Just get through. It's kind of that idea that there's just peace that comes from awareness. I'm aware of the things around me that are chaotic, that are troublesome, that are burdensome, but I'm just not going to worry about those things. I'm just going to have peace in the middle of them. Uh, and so then the fourth one is this, the peace of what's unchanging. How do you find peace in your world? Well, they would say in psychology that there's a peace of the unchanging. So if you have nothing that you can control in your life, because all of your life is chaos, everything is going crazy in your world, you can at least think about the things that don't ever change. Two plus two is always going to be four. Let's just hold on to that. The sky's always up. Christmas is always on December 25th. Let's just hold on to the things that we can't change and that will not change because that brings me peace to know there's something stable, something sturdy in my world, in my life. And yet when Jesus comes along, he starts to talk about peace in a much different way. The deal that we experience with all of these things from psychology would say when you talk about peace, it's a desire to create an element of peace that removes every bit of conflict and tension and problem from our world. And the problem for me is that I see all of those things and I say, you know what it really focuses on? It focuses on me. It focuses on me having my world ordered 
and my world just right and getting rid of all this stuff that I don't like. I want everything to be about me and focused on me. And God is so much different. If we just remove the problems in life, pretend like they don't exist and we'll have peace. But the problem is the reality for all of us is that there are thousands of things every day that strive to, to take our peace away. So what do you do when you find yourself in a moment where peace doesn't exist? You can't trick yourself into believing the peace exists. You've gotten past the point of being just awake in the morning. You've gotten past the point of going, it's, this is a changing thing that I can't control. I have no peace because everything is changing. What do you do? This is where Christianity becomes so important, I think, and where the world that we look at from the biblical view on peace is so helpful. God actually wants us to learn to lean into the conflict. He goes, here's what I mean when I talk about peace. I want you to see the brokenness of life. I want you to understand the conflict in the world. I want you to recognize and identify that there are things that are out there that are never going to be fully resolved in this lifetime and lean into it and strive to bring wholeness and completion and order by introducing Jesus into the situation. That's the idea that comes along from this biblical concept of peace is that we bring hope and mercy and help through Jesus. That's why celebrating the arrival of Jesus is so important. Because of his coming the first time, we can be made right with God. And when we're made right with God, it takes away all of the conflict that we have between our creator and ourselves. And it reintroduces an order of peace to us that the world can't fathom, can't explain. In fact, in John's gospel, we see an exchange Jesus has with the disciples where he pulls back the curtain to give them a better understanding of what he came to do. So Jesus has been speaking in veiled language for a while. He's been telling parables and all these different things. People have been asking questions. Even the disciples keep coming to Jesus and going, we don't understand. We got questions. Tell us some things. Now Jesus comes to a point where he starts to make things more clear to his disciples. John chapter 16, verses 25 through 33 says, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and, I, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Verse 29, then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you've come from God. And then Jesus responds, do you now believe? Jesus replied, for a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will all leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone for my father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And so Jesus tells the disciples that peace doesn't come from having a right frame of mind. Peace doesn't come from getting rid of all the chaos in your life and boiling everything down to the simplistic form. Peace comes from Jesus. Jesus makes everything whole. Simply knowing Jesus brings a measure and an element of peace that you can't get from anything else in life. And so Jesus tells us, I've come to bring peace. He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between God and us. He renews our relationship with the Father. Peace isn't an, accident, uh, isn't an absence of conflict. Jesus even warns us. He says, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. You might as well take that to the bank. You can count on it. 
If you're going through life going, I just need to find peace so that there's no chaos, there's no trouble, there's no problems, there's no anything. That's not what Jesus promised us. He said, listen, in the world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. It's in me that you have peace. In the middle of your storms, when you get that terrible diagnosis, when you lose that job, when a loved one dies, when relationships around you break down, when you get hurt, he goes, in the world, you're going to have trouble, but you can take heart in the middle of that because in me, you'll find peace. I have overcome the world. So put your faith, your peace, your trust in God. Uh, I recently read an article that began with the author of the article in just panic mode. And he's writing, he's looking around and he's going, this world is just in chaos and turmoil. I've got all these things going on. He writes about things uh, like poverty and climate change and war and U.S. politics and disease and all these things. And they're just keeping him up at night. And as he writes, he actually asks a question. He said, how can anyone have any peace when the world is like this? And he was honestly bemoaning the fact that there were people who were walking around seemingly at peace. When he's looking at the world and going, it's all going burn. Like it's all on fire. The whole thing, it's just chaos. And I don't know how you can walk around at peace. In fact, he was kind of saying, if you're walking around at peace, really all you've really done is stick your head in the sand and turn a blind eye to all the problems of the world. You're just pretending that none of this stuff is going on. And he was really just kind of bemoaning this idea, this fact. And so for him, he was losing his mind over this idea. And this is where I think we as Christians have a better perspective than the rest of the world. While we see the same chaos around us and we know that things are in turmoil and that there's upheaval and that there's problems, there's issues, there are big, big, big problems. We're not just turning a blind eye to it. As Christians, we live in peace because we know the author of all things. We know the one who's in control of everything. And our desire is to bring him into the middle of the chaos, into the conflict, into the problem areas. And to say, this is how you heal things. This is where brokenness gets helped. It's through Jesus, through a relationship with him. And so I kind of wish I could just sit down with the person who wrote that article and just remind him or tell him. He's probably never heard this idea of Jesus saying, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome. When you put your faith in me, you gain a peace that passes all understanding. Jesus looks at this world, and for most of us, we think, well, Jesus is just going to fix everything. And the idea for that is not true initially, immediately. Jesus will ultimately bring wholeness and restoration and completion to this. But Jesus gives us peace in this life, in this world, as we step into the fray to help bring change to the brokenness. So while we wait on him to come, we want to move into the damage. We want to move into the broken places and bring his wholeness, waiting for him to return, to bring completion, to bring justice, to bring wholeness to the world. Uh, another article that I saw this week that I loved, just speaking toward this, Naveen Ritchie uh, in a, a website called Unlocking the Bible. Uh, she wrote the following article. I thought it was really great. I wanted to share some of her thoughts with you because it contrasts this idea of going, how can you have peace? The world's burning. And she kind of gives this perspective. She says this, when asked, what's wrong with the world today? Many will point to volatile stock markets, corrupt governments, disappearing rainforests, poor diets, lack of health care, broken families, overcrowded schools, and more. The world tries to fix these problems by doing good, 
feeding children, building wells, regulating markets, conserving wildlife, funding charter schools, and thereby achieving a type of peace. The world's peace tries to fix the symptoms of sin, but it fails to see how the root of the problem is the sin disease itself, something that can only be healed by Christ, not by money, regulation, or reform. Dealing with the symptoms of sin, but failing to diagnose the sin itself is not new. In the Old Testament, the false prophets treated sin lightly and they proclaimed the problem solved when it wasn't. She quotes two passages of scripture, Jeremiah 6, 14. They have healed the wound of my people lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And then Ezekiel 13, 10, precisely because they've misled my people saying, peace, when there is no peace. And then she concludes the article saying, in contrast to the world's promise of peace, God's peace is permanent and firmly grounded in his word. He doesn't ignore our sin. He heals it, making his peace a different kind of peace from what we find in the world. And so again, if you're taking notes this morning, let me kind of start to wrap this up with a few thoughts. There are two levels of brokenness that the peace Jesus leaves with us presently restores. Number one is the brokenness between humans and our creator. That's the first thing that Jesus came to restore, to bring wholeness to and completion to, is the brokenness of our sin wound. The sin that separates us from God the Father, he came to bring completion to that, to say, I want to restore you to God the Father. I want you to have a relationship that's with him. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, Paul writes and says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, being Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So question for you this morning. Have you accepted Jesus as your savior? Do you have that relationship that Jesus came to offer? God sent him into this world. He sent Jesus into this world to take on the fullness of humanity while having the fullness of his deity, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the life, to die the death we deserve to die, and for us to be made complete and whole with God. So here's what this looks like. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're lost in what we call sin. You're lost in your sinfulness. Sinfulness is missing the mark of God's glory. It's knowing what the right thing to do is and not doing the right thing. And when we live in sin, if we die in our sin, we are judged by God and get what our sin deserves. The Bible says that the wages of sin, what we earn from sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal death. Separation from God in a literal place called hell that will last for eternity. And so we need a savior. Because of our sin, we need someone to step in and heal us, to make us whole, to make the broken parts of us go away. And that's what Jesus does. He steps into our sin. And once you turn your life over to Jesus for salvation from sin, when you confess to God, I'm a sinner, I need your grace, I need your salvation, I need your forgiveness, and he comes into your life, he changes everything about you. And from the inside out, he starts to make changes. And you're part of this process is committing to walk with Jesus for the rest of your life, no matter what comes your way. At the end of this service, we're going to have a baptism celebration and we're going to see a young man, a little guy that's given his life to Jesus.
And the question we're going to ask is, have you made Jesus your Savior? Do you believe Jesus is your Savior? And will you commit to walk with him no matter what the rest of your life? That's what each of us is committed to do when we come into faith in Jesus. Jesus then puts his spirit inside of you. That's not you just saying, I'll do it. I'll make it to where I follow Jesus and I've got this and I know what to do. He goes, no, 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 you can't do this on your own. I'll empower you to live this Christian life by putting my spirit inside of you. Then we walk in step with the spirit of God the rest of our life. When he says, move this way, we move this way. When he tells us not to engage in sin, we say, yes, sir. And we back away from the sin. When we have sin in our life that he points out and convicts us of, we repent of that sin and we get back into fellowship with God. This is what the Spirit of God does to us. So the first thing that, that this peace allows us to have is a relationship restored between God and the Creator and ourselves. Here's the second thing, the brokenness between one person and another. This is what God has come to bring his peace to the earth to do, is to restore brokenness between one person and another. Where do you desire for the peace of God to help you restore what's been broken in a relationship in your life? Jesus is able to take these hurts of your heart and bring peace that, only, uh, that you can only hope and dream of right now. If you think about some things that took place in the New Testament, when Jesus healed a demon-possessed man, a man that was said to have a legion of demons in him, Jesus healed him of these demons. He cast them out. And then this man was restored to his right mind. The people of the town couldn't believe it. And he asked Jesus, can I go with you? I want to become one of your disciples. I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, look, I don't want you to come with me. There's a greater thing that I want to do. I want to restore you back to your family. He said, I want you to go home. You go back to your home. You show your family that you're healed. And you restore and repair those relationships the peace of God, the arene of God, the shalom of God enters into that and says, I want to bring wholeness and healing, not just between you and me, but between you and the people you've been separated from. The second story, Jesus comes into an area called Samaria. And in the hot of the day, the high heat of the day, he's sitting at a well and a woman walks out to draw water from the well. She's there in the heat of the day because she's too ashamed to come in the morning when the other women come to the well to draw water. And she's ashamed because of her past, because of the life that she lives. And when she comes to this place in the heat of the day and sees Jesus, he asks her for a drink from the well and they get into this conversation. And as she starts to realize who Jesus is and as he makes clear to her that he's the Messiah that the people have been waiting for, she, this person who has separated and isolated herself from her community, she goes running into town to the, where, to the places that the people are and she starts calling people together and say, you've got to come with me. You've got to come see the man who's the Messiah. He's the one who's here to change things. He's the one from God who's come to bring wholeness and healing to our brokenness. And all of a sudden, Jesus, because this woman realizes who, she is, who he is, he restores her to the relationships that she's been so broken from. He calls her out of her sinful lifestyle. He gives her his hope. He gives her his peace. And then he restores her to the other people in the community. Then the third story, Mary and Martha mourn the death of their brother, Lazarus. This is a friend of Jesus. They had called for Jesus to come when Lazarus was sick. And Jesus took his sweet time to get there. He didn't just come immediately. And by the time he arrived in their town, Lazarus had been dead for three days. And the sisters are mourning the fact that their brother's gone. And they say, if you had only come sooner, if you'd only been here, you could have healed him. You could have brought, you could have brought wholeness and health to his body. 
And Jesus, though, he had a bigger deal in mind than that. He asks him to roll the stone away from the tomb and he calls into the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, who's wrapped in burial cloths, he's been dead for three days, he comes out of the tomb. He's restored. He's, he's given wholeness again. His body's restored. He's given back to his family. This miracle of what Jesus does, the peace that he brings. I want to ask you this question. Is it too hard for Jesus to restore anything in your life? No, it's not. Jesus can bring restoration and wholeness and completion to the areas of your life that right now are so broken that you think he can never do that. It can never be restored. Maybe you're thinking as we go through these stories, maybe you're thinking about a child that's gone away from their faith in Christ. Maybe you're thinking about a family member that you're estranged from. Maybe you're thinking about a relationship with parents that's been broken for years that just has never been right or a friendship that, that you've been the one in the wrong and you've never made that right. Whatever it is, God wants you to know this morning that he can bring wholeness and peace to that relationship. He wants you to lean into those places and bring his life into them and let him do the work that only he can to bring peace and restoration. Now, I do want you to hear this. To say that, many of us would go, oh man, that's gonna be great. I'm gonna make the phone call today and by this afternoon, it's gonna all be worked out. We're gonna be right back in peaceful reconciliation in life with the people that I love and have missed. Jesus can do that, but he doesn't have to. And he may not. There may be a greater glory that he gets from you finding peace in him, even in the absence of the relationships you want from other people in your life. It may be, that God doesn't restore that relationship to you. And in the middle of it, he says, I want you to have peace in me regardless of the trouble you face in this world. There are so many people in scripture that Jesus would heal. And on the other side of the street, there were people that Jesus didn't heal and would never bring to wholeness and completion. And then there would be times that he would tell somebody, I want to restore you to your family. And in the next breath, he would say, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. There's going to be trouble between mother and father and son and daughter. There's going to be these things that just are not going to work out. Because when you follow me, some people just won't understand why you're following me. They will hate you because of me. Because I'm not going to restore every relationship. I'm not going to bring peace to every relationship, but the peace that I will bring to you is in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the conflict, in the middle of the turmoil that you're facing. You can know that I'm with you and that you've been made whole and right with me. And that's the greatest level of peace that we'll ever experience. Here's how I want us to end today. The last thing that we get to see from Jesus is that there's an ultimate plan for God's peace to restore everything in heaven and on earth to God. The world is broken. There's chaos all over the place. There's troubles, there's problems. When sin entered the world, our relationships with God weren't the only thing that were damaged. Romans tells us that the entire world was broken when we chose our own glory ahead of God's. Look at Romans chapter eight, verses 20 through 23. It says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to the decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. God will not always leave things in their broken state. 
The cross is the first measure of peace that God introduces to the world to say, I'm going to bring my peace into the world as you follow me and live for me. But there is a day coming when Jesus will return and he'll make all things new. In fact, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus said, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. But until the day that Jesus returns, until the day he comes, we're called as Christians to watch and to wait. And how we watch will inform how we wait. When Jesus tells us to watch and wait, it's not just to sit back in luxury and just hang on and just piddle your thumbs until Jesus comes back. He's going, I want you to bring my peace into the world. Wade into the conflict. Get involved where there's brokenness. Find the areas of our community that need hope and bring my peace to those places. What's your role in this faith family? What's your role in this community? To say, here's where I see an absence of God's peace. Here's where I see turmoil and strife and brokenness and hopelessness. And how will you as an individual and how do we as the church move toward those things and introduce the peace of God to them? Until Jesus comes to restore all things to himself and make everything new and whole and right, he's left us with the command to go into the world, to make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, to teach them everything he's instructed us and commanded us. That's our role. As disciples of Jesus, we go to the broken places, to the lonely places, to the hurting places, to the people that experience those kinds of things, and we bring the hope and the peace of Christ. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. And the place to find those broken-hearted people lost in their sin, trapped under the weight of their sin and their guilt and their shame is to go to them where they are. That's what we're called to do is to be a people who bring God's peace. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.